Welcome to the Hingham Cast. I'm your host, Allie Donnelly. For the last 20 years, I've been on your TV, a reporter for NECN and NBC Boston. But I've shoved the Spanx to the back of the drawer to tell stories in this new way. We're called the Hingham Cast because we're looking at the pandemic, politics, and everything in between through the lens of one small town, my town. But the issues we're exploring are unfolding in communities across the country. Today we're going to talk about child mental health, a topic we'll explore from many angles in the coming year. From the youngest among us to college kids, what they're going through is hard and will likely have a lasting impact we'll need to help them through. Take a listen. Water is like really warm. Ah! 11-year-old Sophie Dean plays on the beach in Stewart, Florida. She and her family are escaping for a bit. Soon, they'll move on to spend six weeks in Costa Rica. Does it feel better than home? Yeah, with the ocean, hearing it, already right, out better. The sixth grader at Hingham Middle School is, in normal times, a really engaged kid in sports, with friends, and school. But in November, she switched to fully remote to stay safe with family and her ailing granddad and to minimize risk for her mom's hospice patient. Does it feel harder now? Um, it's definitely a lot harder because I don't get to see as many of my friends only through, like, text messaging. Yeah. And I know that I'm very social, and, like, at school I'd talk to the teachers and other staff at the school, and now I don't really get to do that as much because it's on Zoom and Google Meet. Yeah. How does that make you feel? Um, it's definitely not as fun, and you don't get to learn much about my te- my teachers. Yeah. There's many tears in the process of it, like between too much schoolwork, staying up late to finish schoolwork. Sophie's also doing a lot more around the house. Her mom, Karen, a nurse, is working long stretches, leaving Sophie often to make dinner and get her little brother, Connor, to bed. Is that hard to be the one that's supposed to be in charge? Um, It's definitely a little hard, especially because Connor is not an easy listener. <laughs> But it's not that bad. We've been staying at my aunt's house a lot, and that's nice. So it's not that bad. Does that get lonely? It does, like just being alone all day. It definitely is lonely. And I've realized that my screen time has increased a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It went from like an hour and a half to like four hours. Yeah. I didn't allow TikTok, and I didn't allow Instagram and all of that stuff has completely taken over. And it's because the kids are home alone. Mm. I was working until eight o'clock at, at almost every night. I mm. was typically a stay-at-home mom. I was around to make the meals and drive them around. And suddenly they yeah. were they mm. were on their own. Yeah. You know, when you said you're going to Costa Rica, I was like, Costa Rica, that's amazing. But it, it really, it's, you know, beyond the like complete jealousy I have that you get to hang out in a tropical, you know, place, you are making the move for a really serious reason. So in the last couple of months, I've just kind of seen a deterioration in the family unit. You have a kid who loved school, was totally social, um, you know, going to sports and tennis and all these activities. And suddenly your kids are at home in bed Um, And you're fighting with them to like brush their hair and actually put clothes on and, you know, get up, come out of their bedroom. 
all the things that I, you hear people talking about, like kids being depressed and having anxiety and social isolation, I was seeing all of that in, in our household. What was that for you to see your kids struggling? Well, I kind of, for me, I was thinking like, oh, my kids are going to get out of this unscathed. They spent the first three months at Loon Mountain with 15 of their cousins in one house Everyone was like, oh, this is so isolating and this is so hard. And we actually felt guilty initially because we were on a three-month family vacation with 15 cousins. Mm -hmm. But then I think come September, I actually started seeing, you know, the social isolation. It was sad, like that this is what our kids, this is what our kids have. And it went from that to the kids are at home pretty much, no play dates. They're not doing sports. They're doing nothing. Yeah. Uh, and I just really started to see changes in, in all three of them. And I just felt like I needed to regroup and reset as a family. Yeah. But it's a deep hole. Yeah. I mean, it's a deep hole that, you know, you're a resourced family able to, you know, make a trip like this. You're able to take this time off. There's so many families in and out of Hingham that, that don't have those resources or that can't take the time. Um, so it's it's really challenging on so many levels. We are fortunate that we have the resources, but I mean, it's not like we're wealthy that it's not going to sting for me to not work. So it yeah. was it's a big sacrifice for me and and our family. But I just felt like I needed to do it because we were getting to the point that, you know, I was worried I wasn't going to get my old kids back. Yeah. It's been a little bit hard this week because, as I said, I expected the kids to get to Florida and there would be like a snap of the finger mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. suddenly everything was going to be right. Mm -hmm. But it's it's not a snap of the finger. I think it's just going to be a slow process of kind of bringing everybody back to where we once were. Mm -hmm. But it's a deep hole. Yeah. I want to bring in our next guest, Dr. Elizabeth Englander. She's got a long resume, so I'll highlight. She's the founder of the Massachusetts Aggression Reduction Center at Bridgewater State University and a nationally recognized expert on bullying and cyberbullying. She's also the author of a new book called The Insanely Awesome Pandemic Playbook, a humorous mental health guide for kids. Dr. Englander, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So I guess I want to ask you first and foremost, what is this playbook and why did you write it? You know, I was hearing a lot from kids and parents uh, about anxiety, about problems sleeping, mm -hmm. a lot of problems getting involved and engaging in school online. Mm -hmm. And so we wrote this book with the idea that it would help them figure out how to manage school, you know, how to manage um, other things like their feelings, like if they're feeling anxious or depressed or tired or stressed yeah. and how to do it in a way that wasn't really dark, you know, to do it in a way that was kind of funny and um, really help them, you know, cope, really focusing on coping and empowerment, not focusing on sort of bad news and to do it in a way that isn't scary or weird, but is sort of saying, you know, we're all working towards making this better and you can too, you know, you're part of the solution. You know, we talk about data and the CDC recently released some numbers on emergency room or 
emergency department um, mental health visits tied to kids. And they looked at uh, kids aged 5 to 11 and 12 to 17. And they saw a pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, year-over-year increase of about 24% for that younger set going to the emergency room for a mental health issue and 31% in that 12 to 17 bracket. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. You know, it's really important to understand there's like this sort of trifecta of problems. You know, there's there's the the virus itself and the pandemic itself, knowing people who have gotten sick, maybe knowing people even who have died, the financial stress and the whole recession. And then there's all the social isolation and, um, you know, the, the weirdness of sort of never seeing people, of not seeing friends. Mm-hmm. And I think in the year coming up, we're really going to have to deal with these problems and try to help kids. Yeah. I mean, I think we both know youth suicide rates were already climbing. And from another CDC report, they said young people reported the highest rate of serious suicidal thoughts and substance abuse to cope with COVID-19 stress in in this pandemic as well. What's the risk of fallout if we don't address these issues? I think the risks are so profound that I really can't imagine not addressing it. I think that kids were already dealing with social skills problems and social isolation, and they were already dealing with problems like uh, substance abuse rising, adjusting to digital uh, life, adjusting to you know a world where the internet and social media is rife, where kids get cell phones at a very young age. So the pandemic is happening on top of sort of a stressful time anyway. Yeah. Kids can only take so much. They're resilient. They absolutely are. But we have to give them enough support that they can really practice their resiliency. I think that's going to be the task of the upcoming year. It's going to be getting society back on its feet, and it's going to be getting these children to a place where they can go to school and learn and see their friends and sort of function normally. I want to take a quick break to ask if you like what you're hearing and want to keep the podcast going, support us by rating and reviewing us wherever you listen. Just scroll down till you see the stars. Okay, back to the conversation. You know, people have wildly different feelings about how much kids should be in school, but you can't take away the fact that when kids are out of school, that's a big swath of people who can notice problems um, with kids. So it might be food insecurity or potential abuse or, I hate to say, kind of -of run-of-the-mill stressors like anxiety and self-care. If there aren't teachers and staff with eyes on as much or as intimately, um, that's a really tough challenge. I think that's a question we should be talking about is what's going to be the point at which we really have paid enough of a price and we need to get kids back in school. And I think the sooner we do that, the better. But meanwhile, the idea is that if we can't have teachers' eyes on kids, then let's try to train kids to recognize when they're having symptoms. And, you know, we need to really empower kids to be partners in this. And um, I think that's really, really important. And it's important to be positive about it as well. Give me an example. So an example would be saying to kids, 
let's talk about what stress is and how it feels. And what can you do for yourself if you have these feelings? Well, what can you do? You can go outside and go for a walk. How about going to see a friend of yours and see them outside with masks? Hmm. You're going to have to work a little harder at it. But there are things that we can do to help relieve your stress. And if you're a parent, you know, you can play a board game with your child or go for a family hike, anything to get them off the screens. Mm, Okay. That sounds wonderful. But let me lay out the reality of my life. So in the summer, I was laid off. I had lots of time on my hands. I was uber awesome mom and mom to my kids' friends. I would you know, organize beach trips and we do outdoor yoga and crafts and cooking. And I was awesome. But (laughs) then I launched a podcast and, you know, work opportunities have been coming in with projects. And there are days my kids stay in their pajamas all day and their breath reeks. Mm -hmm. My kids are on devices way more than they should be. I tell them to go outside. They, you know, Okay. And, you know, and I'm not checking on them and they look like they slept in the woods some days. I mean, sure. I don't know. Maybe I'm the worst mom ever, but it's like, it's all I can do just to get through the day without losing it. Like, it's just, it's, I mean, I love my kids. They're great kids, but it's a nightmare. Of course. And you're not a bad mom. You're just a human mom. That's what you are. And, you know, the truth is that when you're overwhelmed, shifting any gear feels really, really hard. Expectations have to shift. You need time for yourself and you need time to focus on your work. So what do you do? You do what you have to do to get through the day. You try to schedule a time each day for some activity that's non-screen and try to make it part of something you have to do anyway so it's not extra time. So for example, suppose you say, when I cook dinner, we're going to have one of you help me every night Hmm. and we'll have an hour just to talk while we're cooking dinner. You know, when you schedule things like that, especially things that you have to do anyway, so you're not trying to schedule yet another task it really seems to work better for parents. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is assuming that your kids like you at that particular moment in time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if your kids don't like you, that's sort of another podcast. (laughs) But I will say they still want to do it and they want you to want it. Yeah. Right now, the time that you spend with your kids face-to-face Maybe the only practice they're really getting on social skills. Part of this is sort of trying to find something to connect with them on, whatever it is, the music they listen to. Let them teach you about the games they play online. Yeah. Let them talk to you about what they're reading or thinking about or hearing about that they think is incredible. You know? Yeah. What did they do on TikTok this morning? That kind of conversation. Yeah. I'm actually kidding. I, I I actually swing the other side. My kids need me and want me almost all the time. It's a wonderful, joyful thing that I have this really tight relationship with both my girls. But there's also a, I don't feel like I have a pause button for anything. I, I feel like I'm waking up at five just to get work done. And then 
it's a, you know, it's a constant stream. I know this is not a therapy session for me, so I'm just going to wrap this up. But what I mean is that, you know, I just feel they, they've been just dealt this just rough hand and all they want is me. And I'm not in a position to give me all the time. So I am talking to more and more moms who say, I can't get them to go to school. They're refusing. They won't take care of themselves. They're angry. They're crying. They say they hate school. They hate themselves. It's beyond, you know, it's kind of, it's etched up a level. A lot of kids, probably most kids, things are not going to get quite to the level where, you know, they, they won't get out of bed in the morning. They won't go to school. But I will say that we should expect that a significantly higher number than usual of kids are really going to need more help than they have in the past. So one of the things we do touch on in the book for kids is to encourage them not to be afraid to talk to adults about how they're feeling. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you find yourself worrying all the time and you can't go to sleep at night, or if you find yourself so sad that even the things you usually love aren't any fun anymore. You know, those are times to talk to grown-ups and we're going to need a mental health infrastructure that's going to be designed to help these children during and after the pandemic because a lot of kids are going to come out of this with issues. And that doesn't mean they're permanent issues. It doesn't mean they're always going to happen. It doesn't mean that we can't fix it, but they're going to need our attention. Which naturally leads into access. Lots of parents are struggling to get their child someone to talk to. Um, I know a bunch of people who are paying out of pocket and they have good insurance. It's just no one is available. It's like getting a therapist to call you back has become like the hot concert ticket. You know, getting mental health care in the United States is, is a nightmare. There's all kinds of access issues, but that doesn't mean we can't try. And I'll tell you something, uh, there is one person who will always take your calls and always talk to your child about this, and that is your pediatrician. Hmm. They're going to be able to help you. They're going to have referrals. They're going to, they may, it may help just to have your pediatrician have a talk with your child. Mm -hmm. And none of this is for nothing. You know, we really have to remind kids that the sacrifices they're making right now are not for nothing. They're making these sacrifices so that not so many people get sick and die. Mm -hmm. And so we can all pull out of this pandemic. I want to take a break here to point you to our page on the Hingham Anchor. We've got a link to the playbook there, and you can see photos of our guests to put faces with voices. It's HinghamAnchor.com. All right. Back to our conversation, talking about exercises in the playbook where kids can try and lay out what they want their way forward to look like. If I'm listening to this and I want to start doing things now that are going to lead to better health outcomes for my kids, what should I be doing? I think one of the main things we can be doing is talking to kids about what they're thinking about what they're feeling. And that might sound really obvious, but actually in our research, about 45% of the teenagers said that their parents never talked to them about those kinds of things. Hmm. So 
I think that spending family time together is really valuable. I think talking to your kids about what they're thinking, what they're worrying about, what they're talking about with their friends. I think that um, really focusing on any opportunity you have to build social skills will really help with kids. Give me an example. Dinner. Eat dinner with your kids. Mm. That is key because kids need practice with social skills during this pandemic, especially. They really do. Mm -hmm. Keep the conversation going because your emotional connection to your kids is what's going to guide them out of this crisis. There's no doubt about it. You're not looking for perfection. We're all, all of our standards are going to have to be reshuffled. What we want to do is we want to get, you want to keep your eye on the long view. Mm-hmm. You want to get through the pandemic with kids who, you know, still have some social skills, can carry on a conversation, remember how to change out of their pajamas, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. especially if you're talking about younger kids, right? Is that they typically don't have the self-awareness to come up to you and say, you know, mom, I think I'm developing an anxiety disorder. That's probably not going to happen. So what you have to look for is you have to look for sort of generalized indications of distress. So for example, problems with sleeping, they can't go down to sleep at night, or they can't stay asleep at night, or they're still sleeping deep into the morning, problems with eating, problems with just you know, having conversation, looking you in the face, problems with not enjoying anything, problems with sort of constantly expressing worries, you know. Mm -hmm. And what are the indicators of a more serious problem? More serious than that, you're talking about kids who can't function, children who can't get out of bed, Mm -hmm. children who, you know, can't just can't do anything, cry a great deal. Mm-hmm. Older kids, you see, you might see more self-destructive behaviors like cutting. You might see eating disorders develop. You might see kids who, kids, you know, older kids, teenagers are a little bit more self-aware. So if you ask them what's going on, they're more likely to be able to tell you, I'm really feeling depressed. Mm-hmm. You know, things are really lousy and I just don't see how we're ever going to get out of this. And, you know, again, those are the signs that you really need to call somebody. Mm -hmm. Health providers really understand that people are struggling and that kids are coming up with symptoms and they would much rather talk over the phone. The doctor would much rather have a Zoom with your child than see them in the emergency room. Dr. Elizabeth Englander, I thank you so much for A, listening to my own personal therapy session and B, for giving us such great information. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. Good luck with the epidemic, everybody. And uh, let's hang in there. It will end someday. Many thanks to our producer-editor extraordinaire, Kristen Keefe, and to Donna Mavramatis and her terrific team at Mavro Creative for our beautiful website. It's thehinghamcast.com. And of course, to you, our listeners. Thank you. I'm Allie Donnelly. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.